Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John Licton. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Asa for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now on to the episode. Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is John Micton. I'm uh, the co-host of this, and Dan Taylor, host, is not here. He's busy uh, doing some work in Dubai and will be joining us next time. But uh, let's start. We have the pleasure and uh, privilege of having Catherine Prince and uh, from KnowledgeWorks. And Catherine, I'm going to stra- straight away let you kind of do a little bio, your role, your title, and maybe some two-minute history. How did you end up in this role? And then let's kind of really delve into the amazing work that you are doing and leading with your team on some research and some really important things about learning and the different shifts and drivers of change and how they're impacting education and policy. So if you can just give us kind of your title and your role and a bit of history about how you got into this position. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, of course. So um, I'm Catherine Prince, and I work as Vice President of Strategic Foresight with KnowledgeWorks. So KnowledgeWorks is a nonprofit operating foundation based in the United States, and we're generally working to help advance personalized learning, doing a lot of work with public schools and districts and state departments of education to help make that possible. And then my team is focusing on forecasting the future of learning, looking at least 10 years out to explore how the world is changing and help education stakeholders think through what that could mean for them and how they want to shape the future themselves. So I got into this kind of by happenstance. I was at KnowledgeWorks as a fairly as a brand new employee in 2006 when KnowledgeWorks as a client of the Institute for the Future released its uh, its first map of future forces affecting education. So my first exposure to strategic foresight was to be sitting in an all staff meeting going, what is happening? What is this? I don't understand. I didn't have the framework for it. And I felt pretty destabilized by our first forecast. But within about a year and a half, I was um, assigned to use it in different contexts in the different roles as things evolved at KnowledgeWorks. And I gradually learned um, more about how to use use future thinking effectively with, with people in education, and then more and more about kind of how to create forecasts and other future-oriented publications myself. So KnowledgeWorks now has a team of five people focused on that and we've really built our internal capacity around futures thinking or strategic foresight since that early time in 2006. Wow, what a story. And I think one thing that often people don't understand, KnowledgeWork is independent, you're nonprofit. Am I correct in saying that? That's right. We are a nonprofit operating foundation and public charities. So we have an, um, you know, our own investment fund and we, we do um, also receive funds for certain work, but we, but our foresight work is mainly funded by knowledge work. So we are able to really have the, the privilege and the in, intellectual independence to explore what we think is important. And um, it doesn't have to be bound by the organization's current focus on personalized learning. It's really thinking about what's that broader landscape that we all need to be aware of, including our own organization. And I think that's really important that you highlight that because so often you read these reports, the McKenzie, many organizations or Apple or Microsoft. And of course, 
uh, you know, for some people, they look at that, they're like, oh, there's a bit of an agenda. And what I have always so appreciated about the work that you do with your team is that neutrality, knowing that you are able to maybe engage people in some provocative thinking that maybe other organizations might be more reticent to. So I think uh, that's really nice to hear. And one thing that I know, Catherine, is uh, you do a lot of research and it's very in-depth and it's very broad. How do you guys go about this? Do you tap into other organizations? I'm just sometimes just baffled at the level. And just for our audience, if you don't know KnowledgeWorks, go to the show notes and Catherine has put some wonderful links and you can also become familiar with some of the resources. But the actual, you know, you have these very uh, eye-catching infographics, then you have a very depth strategic kind of document and then guides and everything. But how do you get all this information? What are some of the mechanics that you get involved with? A very small team, you're saying five people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're drawing upon the professional discipline of strategic foresight, which is focused on looking at how the world is changing and then, you know, thinking about what that could mean in different contexts. So we are drawing upon an established set of techniques that, you know, varied according to practitioner, but there is a field of tools and methods that inform our work. And a, a key foundation of kind of any approach to beginning to inquire about the future is to start scanning for signals of change. What's happening today? What are we noticing that looks different? Um, is there a weak signal that maybe says, um, th this is different from what we're used to? Could it be leading us somewhere new? And then we're also looking at kind of how, uh, for patterns of change, kind of what are trends? Um, what are the plans and intentions of stakeholders? What are the current conditions for different kind of people in different circumstances that we need to be aware of that shape or constrain the possibilities for what could happen in the future? Um, so we use different specific methodologies depending on the project. You know, sometimes we're looking at scenarios in, which can be done in a variety of ways saying, you know, the world's inherently uncertain. We can't ever know what's going to happen in the future, but what if this happened? What if that happened? Trying to help people be prepared for multiple possible futures and think about what they prefer for the future. Um, sometimes we engage in, um, a lot of times we are doing interviews with kind of experts really who are steeped in the topic we're exploring. We do lots of secondary research. Um, sometimes we engage in collaborative processes where we um, engage people um, either in in-person workshops to generate ideas, which we often do when we're kind of in the strategy space and we've done a forecast, we want to help people think about what it means, what we might enact as a result of that forecast. Um, and we just we just finished doing a collaborative research process over a number of months via Zoom with folks who um, to inform our thinking on a new forecast on the possibilities for liberatory education futures. So that was a, you know, a more extensive kind of longer collaboration than we've done in the past for these kinds of publications. But, um, you know, we're always experimenting and thinking through kind of how can we get the perspectives and push our own understanding um, in ways that are authentic to the particular work. Well, wow, that's so interesting because, you know, you when you see the finished product, you always say, okay, how did we get all this information and then synthesize it? So with the different future learning frameworks that you have published, and I, I'm familiar with uh, a 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, and currently 5.0, and I assume 6.0 is coming out. It is in March. Wow, I'm excited. <laughs> uh, but... What are some of the key patterns that you have noticed as you've been involved in this, uh, you know, 
and learning from knowledge works. You know, what, what are you seeing some patterns that you think might be impacting schools more than schools maybe might be aware of? Because I think sometimes when you're buried in the day of busyness of a school, you often don't have the capacity to think strategically. I mean, we do, we have strategic plans, strategic aspirations, but you know, school leaders and school educators are very busy. And right now in this context mm -hmm. with COVID, there's so much that sometimes we don't have the capacity and that's why organizations like yours become such a rich context to refer to. But what are maybe some patterns that you think would, that you've noticed with your future learning frameworks that are maybe repeating themselves mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, this is, this is definitely more than a pattern. This is a significant change. Yeah. I mean, one of them is the, the era shift we we're experiencing. So we've been exploring that in a variety of ways for some time now, but we are getting further and further into an era that's driven by accelerating technological change. And that, so that's one of those mega trends that's un, been present in various ways across our foresight work. Um, and then, you know, a, the current way we're thinking about it is, is really considering the ways in which our increasing use of smart technologies are going to challenge our understanding of free will and consent while at the same time kind of opening up new possibilities for personalization and efficiency and education. Um, I mean, I think another big trend as I look across our bodies of work is kind of changing social expectations of, of education and lots of debate around the purpose of education um, with I think increasing awareness that our current ways of measuring and framing success are harmful to people and inadequate to a variety of um, cultural contexts and lived experiences. So I am encouraged to see that you know, there is, a, at least here in the US in the public education system, there is a shift that um, I think was accelerated by COVID, although it had started before, to, to think about how we might finally um, shift some of our accountability or quality assurance systems and our assessment protocols, which can be very con constraining. Um, you know, another, another, and, and at the same time, in, in addition to that frame on success, I think people's individual expectations of what school is for them and does for them are changing. Um, and at the same time, we're, you know, we're kind of connected to that. We're in this time of kind of considerable civic churn. I know that manifests in different ways in different places. Um, but, you know, here in the U.S., we've been really having a, a much needed racial reckoning. Um, really thinking about the inequities and oppression based into many of our systems, including public education um, and, and, I, and very contested political climate, um, which is, you know, all tied up with kind of how is power working in our schools and institutions and, and, and what, how, what, are, what role do young people play in that? You know, we've, we've definitely seen a lot of activism among young people and there are also possibilities that some people will just disengage and even and not be very active in that civic space, especially as it gets more contentious. And, and, and you know, your first point, I think, is very provocative, this idea of free will and consent and kind of the, the, uh, the kind of uh, the erosion of this idea of free will with, you know, AI behaviorism and this curation of our experiences, our digital experiences and Shoshana Zuboff talks about this idea of surveillance capitalism and mm -hmm. behavior surplus, where our behavior is actually a resource and a surplus. 
But at the same time, what I really appreciate in all your reports, it's very balanced. You're looking at the drivers of change, which often could be perceived as more provocative, maybe negative even, but you're always very uh, deliberate about highlighting the positives. And is this something that, is that kind of a, your, your uh, kind of approach, your vision, your philosophy is always to bring this balanced approach? Because I think uh, you do such a good job with that. And that can't always be easy when you have all these political tensions. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we do try to take that balanced view, partly because we know that um, in most cases, a change affecting future possibilities um, presents both challenges and opportunities, and that those often vary depending on where you sit. So, um, you know, it's futurists are generally trying to have the discipline of taking that balanced view. So we're not just trying to impose our value set on on what we're writing or, or, or in ways we work with people. And of course, we can't completely take our values out of it. But um, but we are trying to help people kind of get past that first set of that first reaction and challenge assumptions, think about possibilities, even when something seems destabilizing, is there an opportunity in that that might break us free of um, inertia that we're stuck in that's getting in the way of what we want. At the very least, if there are things that we perceive as being negative or just are generally thought to be negative, then try to we try to encourage people to think about well, how can we be active agents of change in mitigating those threats. And I think that's what's so powerful is this idea in this negativity, what can we do to step up forward? I'm hearing you, how can we be active agents of change? And I think in a school setting where sometimes through fake news, and I think sometimes the narratives that we read in the newspaper and the news sometimes can be, you know, I'm going to be very blunt, depressing and not very positive. So I really like that kind of, uh, you know, provocation or this idea is like, okay, so here's this negative situation, but what are you going to do to step forward in this idea of being active change makers? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we acknowledge that, you know, we all have to think about our spheres of influence and sometimes these broad societal patterns can feel really overwhelming. So it can be hard to know kind of how can I in my school or in another educational setting kind of intervene in a way that's useful. Um, so it might be that, you know, what I can do where I sit is, is a fairly small thing in the context of those broad patterns of change, but it is still an action that I can take. And so helping people, you know, think that through. And then also if we're not aware of the, the ways in which the world is changing and what could unfold, then we're more likely to get blindsided and, and, and find that circumstances are undermining our ability to achieve what we want. Yeah, and I like the idea that even though you might not feel you can change climate change, there are little things that you could do. And, and that's, I think, an important message, especially in an education setting where kids want to feel empowered, because I think sometimes they don't. And, and I know one thing that I've really enjoyed, and I'm diverging here, so apologies, is the podcast you did in Pittsburgh, where kids were starting to reimagine learning. You joined with another organization, and they're now kind of engaged in this podcast and actually in actions. Is this something that you try to do, is make these connections with public organizations? Because obviously you don't, you know, they're, they're just five of you, but are you making these relationships and trying to see what you can do to really support that action at a local level as example of the Pittsburgh and feel free to kind of give a context to that. 
Yeah, so that particular project was one that we did with Remake Learning, which is an, a nonprofit organization in Pittsburgh that's long been fostering an innovative education ecosystem in that region. And, um, and then SLB Radio Productions, an organization and that has long been creating, um, helping youth create media. Um, so that was, and it was in the context of a, a campaign that uh, Remake Learning and the Grable Foundation have been supporting in that city since it's the second year to really help people think about a different tomorrow for education. Um, so we, we are looking for partnerships like that where we can connect with folks who are also thinking about the future of education or innovative educational possibilities in different contexts and think about how can we bring that kind of the future frame that we bear alongside their often um, kind of more grounded day-to-day um, -day work or kind of just accessing their networks so that more people are kind of at least using the ways of thinking in a lightweight way, you know, that even if they never read one of our publications, but to be thinking about how we might anticipate and engage with the future. So um, we are we are delighted we get to do another series of five podcast episodes with those same partners this spring. Um, and, and, you know, there are other partnerships that we foster in different contexts. Um, and then we do a lot of work with with groups, not just to create content like those podcast episodes, but also to um, as, you know, as you know, to engage with folks in workshop settings and presentations to say where you sit, kind of how, how do you make sense of the change on the horizon? What could it mean for you? Yeah, and I, I, we, I had the privilege and honor of working with you a few years back where you came to Europe and we had a group of uh, school heads and board members and you did a whole day and a half and I know uh, everybody walked out just buzzing. <laughs> One thing that's always very impressive is the quality and, and the graphics and all the way you present things. It's just so engaging. I assume you're doing that in-house or do you kind of subcontract that out to a graphics company? Because it's always, you know, just beautiful to look at, but also draws you in. Thank you. We do have an in-house designer, Todd Garvin, who does most of the work. There are times for specific projects where either we contract out directly just to augment our capacity or maybe in a partner situation, they have a designer to whom we turn. But it's always been um, really personally important to me to kind of create beautiful products that like, because they, they are more engaging, they are, they are enticing. And that visual layer, I think, can help make what are often really complex ideas more accessible. Yeah, and I know that often you have the infographic, which kind of just, you know, you know, I'm just thinking one where there were bubbles and kind of highlights, but then you have the strategic forecast, which is a far more in-depth, mm -hmm. but replaying those graphics, and then you also have a guide. Mm -hmm. All this is free, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is just, this is something that you've decided you're a, a non-profit, you're a, a public organization, and this is what you're giving back to to people, educators, and, and society in general. That's right. And, you know, Knowledge Works does other kinds of work that are also trying to, you know, help improve educational conditions. But this this body of work, we we really have thought about over the years in terms of a, a contribution to the field, you know, usually just um, because we are self-funding most of it. It's just something that we think is important. And, you know, it's, we haven't, there have been twisted turns as with anything. It's sometimes it's hard to understand what what strategic foresight is and why it's important. But we've been really fortunate to be able to to weather um, changing 
climate changing leadership and be able to carry on the work over the years. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, and I know a lot of international school leaders turn to that and use them. I've been in workshops or I've led workshops. We're often that's a point of reference, and, and that's really something that people gravitate to. Mm -hmm. One thing is that, of course, you work with schools, and really your focus is education. Mm -hmm. Why education, and maybe not organizations or companies? Is is that something that is that's because knowledge work was always grounded in education or is that more something that you strategically move to? It is because knowledge works is an education organization. So we have we have a historic focus on helping to um, improve education first in our home state of Ohio and, and then through our on the ground work in the United States. And then um, we're fortunate to be able to look further out in time and further out in place as well and through our foresight work. Um, and, oh, and historically, you know, we focused most on the K through 12 years because that's knowledge works main area of focus. There are times we've been able to do collaborations that get into the post-secondary education space. And in the last couple of years, we've been working with a partner capita to look at early childhood futures because they're so, they're foundational to what can happen in those K through 12 years. So there, there are, um, there are ways in which we're kind of working around what might be formally considered education to think about social systems generally and because they are they're interconnected and interlocking and there are many kinds of many kinds of systems and structures that are influencing children's lives. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things that you in the 5.0, and I'm going to refer to that because I know that we have it in the show notes, is these five drivers of change. and. When you talk about a driver of change, I, I get the sense that there's some movement forward and there might be some speed connected to it. And then, of course, you have the change process. Mm -hmm. And are these drivers often building on previous drivers or could they be completely new? So if I go to report 4.0 or 3.0, is there this kind of, is there a road? And so the drivers of change continue or have you noticed sometimes some drop and then new ones come in or are they kind of building on each other? So in most of our forecasts, we've said, let's not formally look back at the previous one. Let's start fresh and see what's happening now. Oh, the one exception to that is when we went from our fourth one, education in the era of partners in code where we started forecasting this era shift related to accelerating technologies. And we went to the fifth one, we said, an era lasts a long time. You know, we wanna stay in that frame with our forecast 5.0, navigating the future of learning. So that was the one time we like deliberately created that kind of link. But that said, I can look back all across all of the five comprehensive forecasts that we've published and I can see themes over time because there are these drivers of change are broad patterns of change. And they, they in general, they've, I think they've continued to unfold. Um, some of the variance across forecasts can definitely be in the space of maybe we over forecasted or, or, or we, we saw something at one point and then it shifted. Um, and I do think we got, a, we got ahead of ourselves or the education sector just hasn't picked up on areas around kind of mixed reality, augmented and virtual reality, wearables, that kind of thing as fast as we thought they might have a few years ago. Um, so that, That's you know, interesting we are that you say that, Catherine, because uh, just amongst the ed tech world, and I know Dan and I, when we 
talk to other people. There was this whole, the Google Glass. And I remember Dan and I actually, we were trying them. Dan came to uh, an event and I got to try. And they kind of have, you know, they're there. And of course we have now the metaverse and all these mm -hmm. other things. But it, I, I agree, it hasn't really, I'm not seeing it in schools. It's not like schools are investing much in that. So mm -hmm. that's an interesting observation you shared. Yeah. And so, and then I think there's also like from one forecast to the next, we might just emphasize different things. It doesn't mean they've completely gone away, but we just see things from the moment in time where we set when we write a forecast, different things might feel, you know, more or less relevant. So, um, just as for an example, in our second forecast, um, the 2020 forecast, creating the future of learning, we had a driver of change called accelerating, um, that one was called altered bodies. And that was looking at how people were changing how our bodies and minds work um, through prosthetics and chemical interventions and you know other, other mechanisms. And that, that theme has been in some forecasts over the years, it's in forecast 5.0 in the, in the form of accelerating brains where we're looking at how kind of learners' cognitive profiles and are changing through our immersion in digital technologies and through kind of neuro-enhancement devices. And we, I mean, people haven't stopped necessarily using like Adderall and Provigil to like manage their cognitive performance, but we just haven't talked about it as, as much. Yeah. Kind of emphasis changes over the years. Yeah, interesting. And is there one that has surprised you? Because you've been working with this and very much involved in leading this. Is there one that now that you look back and you're like, wow, never thought that was going to happen? One thing that really stands out to me from our first forecast, um, the one that came out in 2006, was there was a driver of change called strong opinions, strongly held, that described kind of an increasingly divisive society. And I am just made to say like, that one's come true. Like I, I can look back now, you know, and say, yeah, we, we were living that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, that's so, you know, you have that wonderful luxury because you've been involved to kind of see that evolve. And, mm -hmm. and that I think nobody, whatever side of the fence or wherever your political allegiances are, there is no, we all agree this decisive polarized amplified by fake news has mm -hmm. been very challenging. And I think mm -hmm. as educators, we're very challenged by this because ourselves as our students work with information and come and tell stories or facts or, you know, it, it, this is quite a, a, a complex minefield to try to really be able to unpack that and let kids understand how to have that balanced approach. So that's so mm -hmm. interesting to hear that. Now you work with school leaders what what would be if if a school leader or a teacher, let's say just somebody downloads your document, mm -hmm. what are some ways to engage with it? You know, what have you seen educators and school leaders do with this? Is this often used as a provocation for conversations or is it more curated with, you know, more sequence and maybe building on ideas to actually action change? I think it can be used in either way. So definitely they, there's, they are in a, the space of provoking new thinking and challenging assumptions, inviting us to consider new possibilities. Um, and they're, and, and they're, you know, and they can be, our forecasts can be a feed into or the foundation of doing a much deeper strategic examination in a particular context. I would say like, there's just layers to engaging in the future. So think back to my own kind of first emotional reaction to that 2006 map where I was like scared about how the world seemed to be changing. 
we have emotions when we think about the future. So the first thing is just to think about what is, what here, what's exciting you, kind of what's challenging you, what are you curious about? And like, let there be that emotional space as a way in, and then maybe follow some of those leads, of, you know, in your own thinking or in conversations to kind of process that. And then there's like, a, definitely a lot of analytical space that our forecasts invite to consider, well, if this is the change that's happening, what could that mean? You know, what are the knock-on effects? What could it mean in our context? And then there's, um, you know, there's also kind of a whole generative imaginative space that can come in thinking about, you know, what are our aspirations and, and, and how can these forces of change further those? How might they work against them? So, you know, we're, we've been working a lot lately with a futures thinking tool called the Futures Triangle, which helps people think about like, what are we striving for? Kind of the pull of the future what's pushing us forward, these drivers of change, other driving forces. And then like, what's what's holding us steady or holding us back? You know, sometimes there's a lot we wanna carry forward for good reason. Sometimes there's current operations that we see as impediments, but trying to balance kind of those three perspectives can be a helpful way to say, to getting toward not just what's possible, but kind of how can we move from where we are to where we wanna go. Um, and then it's also helpful, I think, to make sure to be thinking about kind of multiple time horizons. So, you know, sometimes it's easy to read a forecast and say, well, I need to change my practice today to be like this. And we're saying, no, what we're describing is at least a 10 year out possibility. So even if you want it, you probably can't do it today. You know, it probably doesn't exist, but, <laughs> but what could you start doing today that would yeah. move in that direction? And I think that's really important to highlight is these forecasts are kind of long term. They're not about what's happening in the moment. You're kind of predicting here in, in the next decade or five years. Mm -hmm. One thing that I really appreciate in the last forecast, you actually had a guide, mm -hmm. kind of like a, 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 it was, you know, a guide. So if you were going to work with this, you kind of guided people through some almost like workshopping it. Mm -hmm. Is this something new or have you always done this with previous guides or is this kind of something that you're realizing is something that might be important to add as the resource? Yeah, we did a fir our first kind of facilitate your own conversation about the future guide way back in 2011, not tied to a specific forecast, but it would have been when our third one was out in the, in, was active. Um, and we got, we got more deliberate about it, starting with our, with our first forecast where we did the forecast and we convened stakeholders to say, what does this suggest? And, and we did that again with the fifth one. Um, we, we might do that again, like we, we, with the next one, we're just, we're kind of working through what would be useful with that one. Um, but, but we have very much felt like um, that strategy layer is, is, needs to be done in collaboration or us in collaboration with folks in a workshop setting or, and then also um, people in their own setting. Because you, you know, we can't presume to say what's the right strategy in any context, but you know, that collective intelligence of kind of processing future possibilities together can at least give some kind of broad pathways yeah, toward change absolutely. and response. Yeah. And the other thing is important, you work with schools and you are, you know, you work with uh, public school systems, but also uh, I know you came and did uh, an international visit. Are you, are, is the organization still working with international schools or do you find because of your location, well, COVID doesn't make it easy to travel right now, but is it something that, do you find knowledge work is also resonating with international schools from your experience and your contacts? Yeah, I mean, 
knowledge again we're fortunate knowledge works even though it mainly focuses on public education in the us has accorded us a lot of space to to work with folks internationally or other contexts that um so we remain open to that you know knowledge works overall strategy has gotten more and more focused on helping state policymakers here in the us and then um, public school districts implement personalized competency-based learning so as futurists we are doing more support for that in some of those contexts we're coming in and, and supporting knowledge works implementation work so it's just you know just one of the ways that the work has evolved over recent years but um we are open when we, to digital experiences to, with, with folks internationally now and hopefully not too long away being able to travel again yeah absolutely yeah. so you say there's a new forecast coming in march so i assume that would be 2022 looking 10 years or five years what, what are these what's kind of the time span that you're uh looking at with this one we're looking 20 years out 20 years out yeah okay and that's because um all our previous forecasts have had an interest in educational equity, but they've been looking at kind of the general education landscape and then including equity in that among other factors. Um, especially given where public education in the United States is and just the broader patterns of change, we thought this was a moment where we needed to be more pointed. So we specifically asked a focal question saying, what, what, what's the extent to which education systems might be liberatory and unconstrained by systems and structures of oppression? In order to answer that question, or like in a way that wasn't like it'll just be like today, we thought we needed to look 20 years out instead of 10, because that's really big systems change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was it was kind of your guiding thesis statement that kind of provoked you to look more long term. That's right. And generally, when people look at these and if they go back into your archives, it's usually 10 years, correct? It is. Yeah, it is 10 years. And so, because that's that's usually an actionable zone to say like. It's not so far out that our minds just get blown imagining what happens, but you know, it, it, for most of these kinds of changes that we're highlighting, it's, it would lead things to be significantly different in the external climate to education and then help us think about kind of backward cap planning from that. You know, if these things could be true, what does that mean for us? What do we want that to mean for us? And an important point that you just highlighted is that usually things take 10 years. So Am I understanding correctly? If you are going to acknowledge this driver of change and then do some actions or policy change, usually from the moment of awareness to implementation, you're thinking, and for impact, for it to kind of become part of your ecosystem, it's about a 10-year period? I think as a general guiding principle, I definitely think that people could identify actions and strategies informed by the drivers of change that could have an impact sooner. Um, but, you know, if a driver of change like continues on a, on a current trajectory, you know, we are going to see it manifesting more the further out in time we get. So the ways we can leverage or respond to it in combinations of other forces of change is going to be different in five years than 10. So just needing yeah. to be aware of kind of where are we on that time horizon. Um, but I do think it's important to think about how can we use an, you know, an informed view of the future to foster both that long-term change and kind of nearer-term uh, innovation, or in some cases, relief. It was interesting in this last one, the climate change came up more than I had seen before. And uh, so what was maybe before hinting to that? 
Um, so in our in our fourth forecast, education in the era of partners in code, we had a driver of change called shifting landscapes that included climate volatility, among okay. other factors like migration and, and a variety of things. Um, and there, I think there have been other ways in which we've alluded to it and kind of um, as a destabilizing force over the years. There have been times when we've um, we've had to have conversations. This was years and years ago, but some, certain people would think, well, we shouldn't be talking about environmental change at that time because we're an education organization. We're not an environmental organization. So there have been those kinds of choices that you know, had to be debated over the years. We're at a different place with climate change now. I think we're all really well aware it's one of the major forces of our time and we really have to respond to it. So um, it needs to be present. And, you know, we're just more aware of the way in which it needs to be present than we were 10 years ago. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my daughter's in Vancouver right now and it, it sounds crazy, you know, uh, yeah. just the flooding and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Catherine, what have you learned as, you know, you're, you're so involved with this and you're leading this team. What have you learned yourself? What are some things that, you know, as, as, as an educator and a strategist and a futurist, if I may call you that, mm -hmm. uh, what are some of your, maybe what are one or two big learnings that you reflect upon through the work that you've been doing? Um. I mean, one of my personal learnings has had has had to be how to be aware of so much uncertainty and change and still be able to have a sense of direction and, and choice in my own life. So it, for the first few years of being in, involved with this work, I felt really personally destabilized by it. And I was like, you know. Is that because you, you, uh, you were starting to see all this uncertainty and you're like, okay, how am I going to manage this in my day-to-day -day life? It was, and I was, you know, once I had, my daughter, who's now 10, I was, you know, when she was an infant, I was like, is college even and university even going to be there when she's of age? You know, like, what's it going to be like, do, what do we do? <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think I've, I've gotten kind of more even keeled about being able to calibrate to say, if we can, I can still, you know, exert you know, my agency and make decisions in my immediate day to day and know that there's this broader climate, you know, of, of change. Um, broader landscape of change. Um, and more substantively, I think I've just become in increasingly aware over the years of how hard education change making can be. There are just so many um, strong structures and systems and um, so many stakeholders. And there's so much, so much of the change that often would need to happen is enacted by individual by individual. So I think I've just, I've gotten to have um, a deeper respect for what it takes to not just have a future informed plan in a school setting or another educational setting, but then to carry it out. Yeah. 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 And, you know, with all, I mean, we're all dealing with humans and human emotions and from age three to 18 and then adults, that's very complex, you know, and uh, most companies don't have a whole bunch of three-year-olds that want to say something. You know? <laughs> Uh, and, and so that's that's what's also very rich about being in education, but also, mm -hmm. as you highlight, that, that kind of change management and change processes can be so much more complex and nuanced. Mm -hmm. you, so you, you're a mother, you have a daughter. Do you talk to her about this or does she ask questions or is it more kind of it, it's it's not part of the family conversation? 
It sometimes is. I, I get accused a lot of being really abstract because, you know, like still being a little kid and thinking like about how something even like school that you're experiencing every day today could be different. You know, it's like, kind of, you know, kind of like, why are you thinking that way? You know, but, <laughs> um, but there are times when she'll be like, mommy, can you come help my school? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's great. And how about, because, you know, you, you, you are steeped in this information and, and, you know, it's not in this research about the future when you're in social settings and people know you, do they say, okay, Catherine, what's, what's happening here in the next three years or people are good about se separating that. Um, mostly people separate it and it, it depends a little bit on the, the friend, you know, or the social setting. So if, if it's someone who's in, been in education or is in education, we're a little more likely to, to go there. Like, you know, um, and, you know, I think a lot of people don't really understand what it means to work with the future. So they're thinking, oh, you're like helping people with a new reading curriculum. I'm like, no, it's not, it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> That's important, but this is different work. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's usually fairly separate, but some, you know, sometimes things will come up kind of naturally. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 And what about companies, for-profit companies? Are they reaching out to you? Do they see this work as something that's transferable to their context? Or are they tapping into other organizations? Yeah, we don't have much direct contact with for-profit companies. You know, they, they may be downloading some of our stuff, but we don't tend to work with them much or hear from them much. Um, I think, you know, the the Institute for the Future is a, you know, long-established futures organization that has a, a lot of uh, liaison with for-profit companies and a, on a whole host of other kinds of organizations. So they're a, a big resource probably for those, um, for that sector. And then um, there are some larger for-profit companies will have their own futurists embedded in on their teams, or they'll have consultants that they work with in specific contexts. Um, yeah, but it doesn't tend to be us. Yeah, yeah. Catherine, thank you so much. So what is the title or is that a, a, like a, a professional secret 2022? Are you going to test? See, our, our, working, um, our working, our assignment for the next two weeks is to use this new title as much as possible to see if it, if it can stick. So let me hope I remember it correctly in this moment. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel honored on International School Podcast. Yeah. Knowledge Works. I'm yeah. excited. I mean, we literally created it three days ago. So okay. um, imagining liberatory education futures together. And liberatory, maybe unpack that a little bit for our audience. Yeah, so um, thinking about how might um, education systems really help people develop with their full identities intact and acknowledged, really have a sense of belonging, really help um, them Un understand their kind of sense of self in relationship to the societal systems in the world um, and be supported in developing to their fullest potential and um, not constrained by the various forms of systemic oppression that are present in at least very present in the US public education system and present in well, I, I think globally right. too. Yeah. 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 I mean, the social economic pressures and the social pressures, and I think with social media, you know, so often we forget that even in a context as an international school, which tends to be socioeconomically much better off than often a lot of public school uh, contexts, there are a lot of pressures and the social media environment has really brought in all kinds of well-being issues. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. it would resonate too. 
like the title. So you're going out and trying it out, people. And then how much ideation and iterations do you come up with? For a title? Yeah. Oh, I I think there might be 20 in our work in our document where we're capturing ideas and you know and debates about it. And um so yeah, in the next couple of weeks we'll decide whether I think whether that one's sticking. Great. Yeah. Catherine, thank you so much. I just want to remind people, knowledgeworks.org, if you've never been there, go and spend some time and you will notice also then they have a whole education section and the different uh, forecasts that they uh, do. And Catherine, uh, thank you so much. People can find you on LinkedIn and of course they can find you on KnowledgeWorks and I know you have some YouTube videos that you've done to promote different things. I just want to thank you. It's a real privilege and honor to hear about KnowledgeWorks and uh, it's great. I'm a huge fan. So I feel like, oh, great. Now I get to hang out with the people <laughs> that are making the things I love. So thank you again for everything that your organization does, because I think uh, for myself, leading workshops as a school leader, it's often a point of reference and it's a point of provocation when I engage with other people. So thank you, Catherine. You're very welcome, John. Thank you for having me. And it's been a pleasure to chat.